Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. We are powered by the Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. This podcast is our eddy in the rushing waters of local journalism. We are glad that you're taking some of your time to listen to us chat with the people who shape our local community. I am Nicole Vulcan, editor of The Source Weekly and your host of this edition of Ben Don't Break. My guest today is Keith Witkowski. Born in Oakland, California, Keith and his parents moved to Oregon in 1977. After earning his degree from the University of Denver, Keith began his career in politics and government in 1993, working for then-Mayor Vera Katz in Portland. Since July 2013, Keith's been serving as the city manager for Redmond. As city manager, he's responsible for overseeing a 250-plus person organization, advancing the goals and implementing the policies set by the city council while establishing and caretaking the culture of the organization. Thanks for being on Ben Don't Break, Keith. Sure. It's good to see you again. Thanks, Nicole. Yeah. Um, just you and me today, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> see how that goes. Um, I did not know this about your background that you had worked for Vera Katz, so I have to ask a couple questions about that. Um, she's one of Portland's most beloved mayors. I think there's a statue of her somewhere. I forget where in the city, but... Um, you know, it's a city now that's had plenty of controversy and upheaval and its mayor's office, especially. Um, what's your take now on learning from Portland's, let's say, mishaps and misfortunes? Well, it's interesting. And yeah, she was, you know, someone definitely a hero to me and taught me more about how to be a leader, um, particularly in the public sector. And it's interesting with the with the way Portland's government is, it shows that Portland sinks or swim based upon the skills and the leadership of the mayor. And I think she was the last really good mayor Portland's had. And um, that's what happens when there's so much power that lies with the mayor if you don't have one of the best on the West Coast. And that's what they had at the time. And they don't have that now. Yeah. What are some of the things that you took away from working with, with Vera? Uh, space heaters, a lot of pens. <laughs> that are, you know, I think, we, you know, with Vera, she would say to me, and I was, so I started working for her when I was like 24, and uh, and I came out of a ski shop before I went to work for her. And she would always tell me on a Friday, she's like, what did you do today, you know, and this week to make the lives of Portlanders better? And it really got me thinking, and as being someone in the public sector, to always think about what you're doing for the community and how you're benefiting them, and to not squander the time you have you know, particularly if you're in a leadership position uh, to help a community get better. Yeah. I mean, I guess now you're in the esteemed, you're in the enviable position of not having to be elected, right? So maybe that, I don't know what that helps you or hurts you. <laughs> well, it's, I'm a pretty humble person and you're not going to hear me compliment myself on this podcast. Uh, but it's, it's nice to be able to be so involved in government, but basically incognito. So I can go out to dinner or a bookstore in Redmond or and not be noticed and not be asked questions about how come there's an RV over here? When are you going to fix the traffic problem over there? Why is the air tanker flying so low over my house? And uh, all of that effort, you know, is to help the council be able to, to manage those kinds of questions, but I really don't get them myself. Well, except for, you know, Redmond voters, you know, this is actually the guy that you need to be asking about the air tanker over your house. <laughs> if you knew what I looked like. <laughs> he actually has the power. Um, so, a lot, you know, we're doing this the, this podcast here in Bend. Um, our studio is located in Bend. 
we read about Bend probably more often than other places, but, you know, uh, we like to cover all of Central Oregon, and Redmond is such a fascinating place for us just to see kind of, I don't want to say this in, in a way that sounds degrading, but some of the things that Bend has, the mishaps and missteps that Bend has made, you know, n- see that played out in a different way in Redmond. It's it's an interesting um, dynamic to see a new com- another community sort of grow and explode uh, in size. But, um, you know, some people might think of Redmond as Ben's backyard. I don't know if I think of it that way, but if you spend a good amount of time in Redmond, you know it has its own identity. Um, how do you define Redmond for those who aren't familiar? So it's interesting. First, kind of what you were talking about, like um, being smaller and coming up you know, growing um, kind of at a different time than Bend. We can learn from what Bend has done right. We can learn the things that they've had to work on before we've had to work on them. Mm -hmm. And now we're at the point where, you know, closing in on 40,000, where, you know, we have all the same issues, the homelessness, affordable housing, a lot of the regional issues, um, transportation. And so our mayors, Mayor Fitch and Mayor Keebler work together frequently. We had our first ever joint meeting, our city council with their city council mm-hmm. on August 1st. So there's a lot of really good collaboration between Bend and Redmond. And, you know, I think that r- what Redmond's become, and then I'll pause so you can ask questions, but we've become this really nice alternative for the entire region. If they want to go out to dinner, particularly in summer, and be able to get a reservation and maybe not stand in line, when I started in 2013, there was a couple of good restaurants, and now we have restaurants like Feast yeah. and stuff going on in the um, SCP Hotel that we're really our own community with our own um, set of characteristics and personality that make it unique and pretty, um, uh, pretty wonderful. So if you're on an elevator with someone who doesn't know the difference between Bed and Redmond, what, what do you tell them? How's, you wow, know, how do you okay. define Redmond for your elevator pitch? Well, there's the, it's kind of overused, but we talk about Redmond still having a small town feel. But I always view it as with Redmond, you can still get involved and really make a difference. Um, you can get, to, I, there's so many times during my day, it feels like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, where you wave to the policeman, you say hello to the guy in the bookstore who I know really well, and you know everybody and they know you. And there's just this real personal kind of rubber meets the road on the ground part and aspect of Redmond that keeps it really close knit because as it's grown, it's still kind of grown in this way where it's very galvanized and there aren't kind of who's from out of state, who's from in state, who's been here forever, who hasn't. And so it's it's really tight knit still, but it's got a lot of the same um, challenges and opportunities of Bend or even some cosmopolitan cities. Yeah. When you said that thing about its small town feel, it made me rem- it reminded me of um, the recent election. There was some <clears throat> folks who were running for city council and other positions in Redmond who kind of ran on a platform of "We want to keep Redmond, Redmond," um, and that personally grates on me a little bit because it it signifies something that I don't think is exactly desirable in my mind but what what do you think they meant by that or what what what's your take on that kind of approach well it's when I've, I've heard uh our mayor ed fitch talk about that a lot in terms of what it means to keep redmond redmond versus and 
and what, when I th- hear of that, when the context in which we talk about it is it's a place where people accept each other, um, regardless of who they are. They're always willing to have a conversation and learn and be curious, particularly about the differences between people, and that they care about things. So that, you know, in Redmond, if you're, you know, walking through a park and you see trash, like you're going to pick it up and throw it away because, you know, you can kind of take care of those small problems. And the other thing is Redmond, it's growing so much that keeping Redmond Redmond, keeping it a place where we all know each other um, and where we pitch in and make a difference and we get involved in government and we get involved in um, other social issues and political issues and knowing that you can make progress on it. So we talk about, you know, there's just like the anecdotal stat of, hey, you know, Bend was a town of 20-something thousand in the 90s. Now Redmond's a town of 40,000. Do you have, have you looked at the the growth trajectories? You know, is Redmond actually growing faster than Bend at its 40,000 now? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And in the last couple of years, and um, I'm not the, the stat guy, but I know that in the last couple of years, our growth rate has been faster than Bend's. Yeah. I'm, I just wonder at what point are, you know, you going to be the 100,000? You know, I mean, you as in the city yeah. of Redmond, because you, you know, you're, of course, are Redmond, right? The, the We're growing at anywhere from two to 4,000 people per year. Mm-hmm. You know, and you do the straight line math. So what is that? Another 20, 30 years. I mean, the earth will probably split in half before then. But um, it's we're growing really fast. And there's a lot of times, right, you'll see what used to be um, sagebrush and juniper or open area suddenly become housing. And then some of the housing some suddenly becomes density. And, you know, density is something that can be really scary to people who lived in an area a long time. When I was in Portland um, working for Vera, we would talk about the D word, density, in the late 90s and how that was scary to people in Portland well before the Pearl District. So we're at the point now as we continue to see this growth and the investment in development is how we help people understand not to be afraid of growth and not to be afraid of change that goes with it and how there's there's benefits from that, whether it's more services and more stores and more whatever, that um, it's it's something that shouldn't be resisted, but we've got to make sure and we try to be thoughtful about growing in the right way. So, for example, if we're going to get a few hundred housing units on 50 acres, how do we make sure the transportation is such that it's not dangerous, it doesn't create massive congestion problems? And um, people don't kind of proverbially wake up one day and wonder where their community and their quality of life went. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the mayor a couple times. Redmond recently went through a mayoral transition. Let I think it's safe to say that was a uh, quite a difference from one mayor to the next. Um, what are some of the changes that people in Redmond might be experiencing as a result of the change in leadership? Um, with with Ed Fitch, it's, I always joke with Ed because I know if I get up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday and check my email, I'm going to have at least five there from him from before 6 a.m. or before the, the Saturday night. And what Ed does is he has incredible passion for Redmond. Uh, he thinks a lot and all the time, and uh, which I really enjoy. And so he's looking at what can we do about fixing transportation issues now? How are we going to tackle homelessness uh, how are we going to address um, whatever we want to improve at the airport? So Tuesday night at council, uh, 
With Ed's leadership, council gave us the green light to begin moving towards an investment that'll create a arterial, let's use normal words, a kind of a highway that's going to connect the area near COCC, northeast to Highway 126, that is right now, used to be our old golf course. And that's going to have enormous benefits for the congestion we're seeing on Highway 97. Mm-hmm. And it's a project we're going to be able to get done in five years. So you kind of have this top down. Did you are you are you kind of saying that now you have a little more of a buy in at the mayor's office? Is that fair to say in, in terms of tackling some of these things and the nuts and bolts of them? I was saying so Ed's personality is I think he acts like every day could be his last. <laughs> and he actually reminds me a lot of what I experienced in Portland, whether it was Vera or at the time um, Sam Adams with her chief of staff and those two. They're like, we've got four years or eight years or whatever it is, and we're going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And we're going to think about things all the time, and we're going to throw ideas at the staff relentlessly in the pursuit of making Portland better. And that's Ed's approach, which uh, is the city manager and in charge of leadership. Like, I love it. Um, he's extremely open to, like, a better point of view or a different point of view or disagreement. So he's a great person to collaborate with. All, all of council is. Mm-hmm. So for those who really aren't familiar with the role of a city manager compared to the mayor, just, you know, what's a what's a quick description of your job? So the easiest thing is city council sits policy, mm-hmm. right? And our job is to implement. The way it works is that I'm the only employee of the city council. Like, so they can hire and fire me, then I oversee the 250 people. But me and my core team, the directors, our job is to advance the goals of city council. Mm-hmm. It's a big job. You're getting six texts from the mayor on Saturday. I, don't, I have no life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love the job. Like, the job is, I'm, I, going back to Vera again, I, I started there so young, I was used to, like, constant change. Like I can go in one day and 10 things are going to happen. I didn't think they're going to happen. And this job's the same way. So I love the change. Um, I'm okay with paths alternating from one day to the next. And I think it's really, really fun. Yeah. So you kind of talked about some of the issues that Redmond's facing, um, you know, especially in the you know, you talked about transportation, you talked about homelessness. What are some other big issues that you see Redmond facing right now? So some of the other things we're doing right now is, as we grow, how we make sure that we have the services that people need. Like, for example, um, our police station is way too small. It was built in the late 90s. We got a bond passed last year, this year, whatever. Um, And so we're building a new police station. So that's going to give us the capacity to provide public safety services. We're also in the final stages of getting a permit to expand and relocate our wastewater treatment plant from where it is in the city to um, northwest of town in kind of the lagoon model that that Prineville has. But the point of that is that with growth, we need to continue to treat, you know, the water that goes down the drain um, and be able to accommodate more and more people that are coming here. The airport, right, another thing. We own the airport, which probably isn't realized by many people and shouldn't be, um, and uh, so that airport is back up over a million people coming and going every year. And we want to double so- the size of the commercial air terminal, so we're looking to do a $150-plus million expansion of that airport to serve the region's needs. So there are these huge 
uh, capital projects then blended in with how do we get more housing built for companies uh, like Basics that was in the paper today or Medline, workforce housing? How do we address the homelessness issue that's all over the West Coast in a way that kind of works for Redmond? Mm-hmm. And uh, so there is, it's as busy and it's as exciting as it's been in my 10 years right now. Yeah. So are you saying that we're not going to have to walk outside someday when we go to the plains in Redmond. Is that your is that your plan? We're going to make certain people walk outside. Oh, but come on, no, yeah, no, no. There will be a you know a second level, <laughs> and those skyways that uh, you use at you know some of the other airports. So yeah, you won't have to go outside, Nicole, when it's five below I'm or one hundred and fifteen. Yeah, I'm just there. looking out for the the bewildered tourists I always encounter every single time I'm at the airport. They're like, what? Wait, what? Oh, we have to, we have to walk out here. Okay, they're they're just always like, look so awestruck, and then they see the mountains, and then they're like, oh, I see. This was a little tour. You wanted us to see the three sisters. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's sightseeing. So yeah, that's gonna you know ideally in the next five years or so, um, we'll be well on our way with that project, and we yeah. continue to accommodate more flights to more locations. Right, we're looking at. Places like Dallas, right? We're picking up some um, additional flights to uh, to Las Vegas. Uh, we're hoping Chicago comes back at some point. Portland's coming back in November, so the demand is definitely there. Yeah, is it common for cities to have control of the airport? I mean, mm. how you know how many peers do you have in that? Um, it's not common at all. The city of Eugene owns their airport, but mostly. It's port authorities. Yeah. Uh, and that way the region can kind of pay for some of the growth that's happening as well. And uh, so, yeah, it's pretty uncommon. Do you think that's something, is that a conversation that comes up to make it kind of a regional, you know, turn it into a regional um, effort rather than the cities? I think at some point I could see the airport becoming more of a regional entity. Um, it'll take some time because you've got to obviously work with the other governments and there's the issues of the, the taxes associated with supporting it. But, right, Central Oregon continues to grow and somewhere in the next decade, I think there's going to be a number of different changes happening. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, Redmond, you know, just in the, in, on the topic, uh, I don't, actually, I don't know why I'm making myself think of this, but I wanted to talk about voting patterns um, oh, it's because you finally got your bonds passed. It, I think Redmond in the last you know, handful of years has had a, a struggle in getting some of those, uh, those bonds passed for your, for your community center and swim center, the, those things passed this year. I anecdotally wanted to attribute that to voting patterns. Um, you're seeing maybe a little bit more balance between red and blue now than we may, may have seen in the past in Redmond. Um. It's in, let me first first on the voting piece, right? So we've the Revin Parks and Rec is a separate governmental entity, right? And yeah, so no, so they got theirs passed, right? We, for the first time, went out in twenty plus years and got the police station passed. I think that you know I'll look at the precinct data at times around different issues, um, you know whether it's the county races or uh, you know I think the uh, um, psilocybin, uh, the marijuana from a few years ago, and they're shifting a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that they'll continue to shift. Um, but like I said, it, it's uh, change is constant. And when we get folks coming in and moving here, that uh, it's, it's the base begins to shift as well. Yeah, definitely. I just wondered, 
you know, what is it like to lead in a city that really has what you might call kind of a divided set of voters? Um, you, you, we've had some, you know, you've seen some social issues pop up in Redmond over the last few years around that, I think, that are, might be attributed to that. Yeah, I think that with this, with this council particularly is they've not shied away from tackling any issue. Um, we've seen, I mean, we used to get six, seven, eight years ago, five people showing up at council that maybe mm-hmm. weren't there to speak. And on any given Tuesday, we could have 50 to 80 people there in the crowd and maybe two to 10 of them are talking, you know, going to testify. Yeah. And it's all sides of the spectrum. So mm-hmm. we'll get folks that are uh, uh, communicating about how they feel about maybe how a social issue shouldn't change at all and others uh, saying that we need to continue to change and we need to embrace this. So it's it's gotten a lot more interesting. Our council has been really good about saying, hey, we want to hear from everybody and we're mm-hmm. here to serve everybody. And hearing opinions that are divergent right, make for a better conversation as long as people know how to articulate those and participate in those conversations in a respectful way that ideally doesn't uh, offend um, certain subpopulations. But no, it's it's changed a lot just even the last year or so. Yeah, I mean, we don't often report on the, you know, the the every little detail of the Redmond City Council, but we certainly have had a lot of fun watching um, the public comment sections of your recent meetings. Um, just some, you know, some frequent flyers there who who seem to, you know, just bring us endless entertainment. Yeah, I'm learning a lot of stuff I didn't know, so. Maybe not always particular to Redmond politics or anything local in general. Yeah, you know, I will say, I think that it's, um, depending upon whoever might be testifying, it's it's always best for all those folks that are out there listening to try and testify on issues that directly affect city business. And um, But our council's open to whatever. Yeah, because it's, you know, you get your time. I mean, maybe you just want to take it, but, and I respect that. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Keith. Maybe it, maybe it should be more on topic, to specific to local stuff. Um, so on a different topic, City recently put out a call for a new tourism and lodging advisory committee. Can you tell me a little bit more about that committee and the thinking behind it? Yeah, so we have to invest about 30% of our hotel motel tax proceeds mm-hmm. um, into tourism, just like every city in Oregon. And we've probably invested close to $3 million over the last decade. And we did a review of the contract recently, and one of the recommendations was, hey, you should have a, a citizen committee help guide these investments, bring in stakeholders from the hotel industry, business, folks at large, and let's think strategically about what we're investing. And right now, that contract amount is a little over $350,000 a year. Yeah. And so as Redmond's changed, and maybe what we did a decade or two ago with tourism money worked just fine, we've got to continue to look forward, just kind of as Bend has. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a committee now that'll help guide kind of the stewardship of that contract, be able to advise council and the contractor on the best way to invest the dollars and identifying like what does tourism mean to Redmond? Mm -hmm. Um, We're at a different place in Bend, right? It means a number of different things. It's a double-edged sword for Bend. Uh, We're not there yet, but what kind of events 
um, do we want to try and attract and help businesses and create hotel nights? Yeah, undoubtedly that that fund must have must be rising every year. Yeah, it was so when I started, I think it was around like one hundred and fifty thousand, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's three fifty, and we're yeah. getting more hotels. So, yeah, it's growing substantially, um, and we just want to be a little bit more strategic and have a little more involvement in how the investments are done. What are some of the projects that have um, gotten off the ground thus far with that, those monies in recent years? Uh, so I think some of the things that the Redmond Convention Visitor Bureau that's um, had the contract and just had the contract, uh, we've seen a version of the Balloons Over Bend event um, for the last few years. Uh, we've seen a um, called Northern Lights it's a super high-end projector that can create like a cartoon off of a building mm-hmm. and trying to figure out ways to draw people into that. So we're, we're trying to move towards tourism dollars need to be spent in a way that attract people from more than 50 miles. But, yeah. You know, but just basically aren't just for locals. Right. Uh, that's the point of it. So um, we're beginning to see some of those kinds of events as well as partnerships that the Redmond CVB has with. Uh, the fairgrounds, trying to get group events because uh, those drive hotel nights, those drive spending. Um, so it's it's kind of an emerging strategic issue and a strategic initiative for the council. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, you kind of talked to a little bit about some of the projects that you're working on, uh, you know, expanding the airport, the always interesting, uh, you know, wastewater treatment projects. Everyone loves pontificating about those. Um, but just in general, what's your vision for Redmond moving forward? I, what Redmond needs to be as we move forward is, you know, becoming a city where particularly um, families can kind of stay together and that you don't have situations where the parents can afford to live there, but the kids go to college or do whatever they do, but they can't afford to buy into the market. We're seeing our housing prices, right, the median sales price, um, always sitting around the half-million-dollar range right now, which is insane. I mean, it yeah. bends even quite a bit more. But no one in their right mind can afford a down payment and get one of those homes. So we've got to get more trade-to-sector jobs, which are jobs that tend to pay more and have benefits. We've got to bring tools to bear um, that give us the ability to build more affordable housing Um particularly for folks that are just kind of starting out in the workplace. We've got to be a city where people can move around and drive around. And there is this, for folks that haven't been in Redmond in a while, like the kind of the downtown core, we have this beautiful park and super walkable sidewalks. And it feels like, a, you know, not to do comparative stuff, but like a crested butte or like a mountain town mm-hmm. where everybody knows each other and it's real easy and accessible um, we want to continue to do those things as we also are strategic about how we do park development. We have 30-plus acres on the north side of town. We just bought 20-plus acres on the south side of town. Those are single parcels where we have an opportunity to expand kind of you know our park system in a pretty profound way, and whether it's with ball fields or whatever else. So we're continuing to try and like play SimCity, that game, like the right way, and bring amenities bring services, bring housing, bring jobs that keep Redmond on the trajectory it's at. Yeah. So, I mean, just just to touch on the housing piece for a second, um, I mean, I know cities have some tools in their toolbox to contribute to that. 
you know, um, one I can think of is that a city might own a piece of land that they deed over to an affordable housing developer or something like that. What are like some other ways that you see Redmond contributing, you know, specifically to getting housing built? Yeah. So there's tools that, that Bend uses, and this is a real good example of how, you know, we can learn from Bend. So there's controlling the land, like you just mentioned, and we're doing more of that. Um, looking at the use of property tax abatements, which basically say a, a housing unit doesn't have to pay taxes for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, and you target that to an income. Ben's got a construction excise tax, which is one-third of 1% 1 of the cost of permits for commercial and industrial, and they use that money and put it into a fund so that they not only maybe control land, but they can play it in the equity game to try and buy down the cost of housing and encourage housing. And we're going to look at all those tools, and we're going to look at them. We're going to have that conversation with council on November 7th. And we've got to bring those to bear to really try and make a difference rather than just be hopeful. Because the only two we have right now are these things called urban renewal areas, where it's just kind of a designated area where we have resources to invest in capital development, which gives us the ability to play the housing game, but only within these designated areas. Right. Yeah. What else, is there anything I missed in terms of, you know, talking about Redmond, Redmond's, you know, sort of highlight reel? I I think we've hit a bunch. I mean, we are, right, we've got 40 acres northeast of town where we're looking at um, building a new neighborhood and trying to not just have your typical single family homes. And that's going to be a good example of where we can create different kinds of housing that meets the needs of, of a variety of different kind of people. Um, but in general, I mean, with Redmond right now, as we look at some of these policy issues like homelessness, right, we're working really closely with everyone on uh, the Shoots County Board of Commissioners. The mayor and I have one-on-ones tomorrow with them to dig into these issues further. We've got a 12-acre East Redmond homeless campus that we're propping up. We've got a partnership with Oasis Village for shelter homes and talking with Mountain View Community Development about a managed RV camp. So we're making progress on some of these things that a lot of communities have struggled with mm -hmm. and which has been the reputation from before me where if you, you know, invest in Redmond, whether you're state or federal, wherever you're going to get results for it. Governor's uh, spending the day in Redmond today at Shepherd's House uh, and meeting with the mayor and other folks on a variety of issues. And so... The nice thing is, like, Redmond's always been a really good player at the table, and that's still happening in 2023 and will happen going forward. Do you see that being, uh, you know, how much of that is attributed to, to, to you, would you say? Just to toot your own horn for a second. Uh, nothing's attributed to me. <laughs> it's, it's all, like, really, I mean, it's the electeds. Like, I'm good at returning phone calls and, you know, things like that, but I've got a really good team. And the electives are really effective when they're given the opportunity to sit in a room with people like the governor. And again, you got a community that's supportive of a lot of these, if not all of these initiatives, and that makes a big difference. The speed at which things happen in Redmond, the last piece related to Portland. When I was in Portland and we'd look at kind of amending, you know, one of those urban rural areas I talked about, that was a two-year process. Here, we created an urban rural area in South Highway 97 in six months with our partners. And wow, so things happen fast here, and they happen in a, with good outcomes. Is that because there's fewer players to kind of weigh in? No, don't ruin what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, I, I mean it's there's trust. It's okay. just like any relationship. There's actually trust that 
of, of what people are trying to get done. And um, that's another really neat thing about Redmond, that people wave to the cops, they wave to our transportation crews, and um, it's a super friendly, supportive community. Yeah, awesome. Well, Keith Woodkoski, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. Sure. Thank you, Nicole. Yeah. You've been listening to the Ben Don't Break podcast powered by The Source Weekly. To read, hear, and see more of what we do, go to bensource.com. <laughs>